Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, two episodes to go. Penultimate. On the penultimate episode of Succession Season 2. It is episode 9, titled, the ominous title, DC. Spencer, what'd you think? I thought this was a very solid episode. I mean, its purpose is to build us for what's going to be one hell of a barn burner of a conclusion, I'm sure, but it was really well done and really well paced and had a lot of great character moments, and... It's good to see these people kind of pushed out of their comfort zone every now and then to do something where they're not 100% in control and see how they try to manage that because it's clearly foreign territory to them. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and <laughs> I told you before in previous podcasts that these are the two episodes, episode 9 and episode 10 of Succession Season 2, that I really wanted you to listen to and or watch and then do podcasts with me but i can tell you now like in retrospect i don't think i was sold on us doing the pod on the show until these two so that is maybe the highest praise i can give it that's why i wanted to do this pod with you for these two episodes it's interesting because you kind of floated the idea of us doing this for the going in through the second season it was like oh yeah, it's a great show we should really think about doing it you know consider our options and then the season ending is like you just called me and went, we're doing it this is what we're doing well, next i hope you're okay with it but we're doing it well, think of the the sort of juxtaposition there with Westworld because we did Westworld season yeah. one, and I was like, "We're totally doing Westworld." We watched Westworld season two, and I was like, "Let me tell you about Succession." <laughs> <laughs> Very valid point. The ending matters. Everyone who tells you it's not about the it's about the journey, not the destination, because it, because it had a bad ending. Endings are important. Oh boy, a little little side eye to Game of Thrones there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything on Mangum Reads you want to plug before we jump right into the recap? Uh, we're continuing pottering around, and it's a blast to do it. Oh, everyone who's interested in listening to us work our way through Harry Potter from three different perspectives, come on down. Otherwise, we're going to be starting a new book by a new author that was nominated for the Hugos called Spinning Silver, which has been a delightful yarn of science of a, a fantasy kind of grounded in the real world with mixing in various fairy tale elements. And it was been a lot of fun, so hope you'll listen to it with us. Is that a full novel? It is a full novel. It was a solid 500-pager, so we're going to have to debate how to structure that because it's been a while since we've done a novel. I loved our friend uh, Levi's comment on Mangum Reads because he likes to support the pods. He's on Whiskey on the Weekends. Mm -hmm. But one day, I think we were... It was pretty early on. He's like, guys, you sold this as short stories. <laughs> we did. Now you expect me to read a whole book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is. <we're> <laughs> I remember there's been times I've been trying to get other people involved in the podcast, and we're kind of flippant to the length. And I was like, oh, come on, John, this will be fun. I was like, all right, well, how long is it? And I was only like 250 pages. And like, no, just no. Yeah, and, and I'm hand up. I'm one of those people. All right, let's jump into the episode. We start with the recap, then we have our segments. We have Roy of the episode, we have Roman line of the episode, and then we have a. Uh, this one we only do like every other week, I think, but that's Spencer's relationship line, uh, relationship advice of the episode, um, which I think last episode was just you saying, don't do anything these people do. You know, that's been kind of the, it's been a recurring motif. It's been a point I've returned to over the course of this series. I think it's standing good advice. <laughs> I agree. All right, let's start the recap. Uh, we start with a cold opening. Um, starts with Logan walking. Looks like he's walking in the evening and he doesn't, he looks a little unsettled. Yeah, he looks honestly, unsettled is a good word for it. I don't think we've ever quite seen him in that state, but he looks like he's a constant deer in the headlights. Yeah, he does. He goes back upstairs uh, to his apartment, and they're watching. They don't call it 60 Minutes, but it looks like a 60 Minutes yeah. expose. 
on a piece about the cruise scandal at Waystar Royco. So apparently the whistleblower, which was referenced heavily in the last episode, has now come forward and is now on television. And he goes by the name James Weasel, which main thing I get I out think of it's, I think it's actually Weisel, but they keep calling him Weasel. <laughs> Valid point. I think I only ever heard them refer to it as, as Weasel. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to watch the scene of where I'm watching this as a damning critique on them as a corporation, on their culture that would allow this to happen. It's an incredibly powerful interview. They're watching this as if it is something that they could never even theoretically take seriously. Yeah, so as he starts in that vein, Tom starts chanting, book, deal, book, deal. <laughs> and he's like doing it between bites of appetizers. It's like, you couldn't be more flippant about this situation. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching this room, it seemed to me, Spencer, and you tell me what you think, that they were all pretending for the sake of everyone else, if not just Logan, that they were not concerned about this. But I think everyone is concerned. Yeah. I mean, they were all putting on the positive face. They're all making this a laugh-a-thon marathon. They were all treating it as if it was something that could just be regarded flippantly. But it feels forced. Roman then impersonates James Weissel, the whistleblower. Well, Susan, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a weasel and I'm scared. (laughs) The whole room here, uh, it it seems to be pretty nervous. Lester McClintock then is brought up. Uncle Mo, Mo Lester. Mm Mm-hmm. Logan, who can forget our Mo? Our Mo, Spencer. He still doesn't get it. No, no, and that only continues. James goes on to explain he doesn't know everything. Greg helping out with the morale. Oh, he doesn't know everything now. <laughs> Yo, but think about, look, we, we make a lot of fun of Greg, as we should. But think about how far he's come. Mm-hmm. He's, he is not, he's not just, he is in the room. He's not even in the secondary room with like Jerry and Carolina and Hugo and all those guys. He's in the family room. Yeah. In, in, in one, well, two seasons now, he has gone from the guy who's throwing up out of the eyes of the mascot that he's walking, the costume he's walking around in at a theme park to being part of the inner circle of one of the most powerful corporations in America. Good on you, Greg. Yeah. Uh, James has asked if HQ, so that's Waystar HQ, knew about it. I think the implication there is really the executive management team. He brings up Jerry, then Bill Lockhart. I love Bill. What do you think of Bill? You know, Bill's the greatest. Bill's such a great guy. Such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Who who took over from Mo, and then Greg points out that he likes Bill, just like we do. Tom, he mentions Tom, not Kendall. So much. <laughs> no, Tom does not like Bill. Uh, he mentions Kendall, and then finally brings up Tom. Logan, your parents should be so proud. So this is, again, I, I, I you know, we saw from the nervous walking from Logan, and then some of the sort of mannerisms uh, and in sort of body language from Logan in this scene, he's tr- he's trying to put on a face, but they're all very concerned. Mm-hmm. And the interviewer then brings up something that is repeatedly included in the shadow logs. This is a tough one, Spencer. NRPI, no real person involved. That one's rough. That and that sets Logan off. Yeah. Yeah. The moment they get on that, the moment they explain it, that it basically just means you know sex workers, migrant workers, people that aren't associated with guests or permanent staff members. No real person involved. Logan makes it about 30 seconds to that, and he's like, nope, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, clearly there's someone behind this, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And, which is really, like you said, it seems like his default cover position uh, when he doesn't want to confront something is to say, well, this doesn't matter because Sandy's behind it, so blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's a good Brian Cox. I try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roman, if you notice, Roman who has a very strong episode here. Mm. I mean, 
fucking heavyweight episode from Roman says, well, Dad, maybe we should watch this. Like, <laughs> you know, figure out what they're saying. And Logan is so put off, he just yells, I've got 50 fucking people paid to watch this. <laughs> Which the 50 fucking people are in the other room and can hear him say that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still watching away as they are paid to do. They go into another room and start to debrief. Jerry suggests, quote, and it's hard quotes here, telling the truth. Which she explains, she has to explain the truth, <laughs> is, that, is that no one in Logan's circle knew anything about it. The buck stops with Bill. I like Spencer. Do you, do, do you think it's fair? Sorry to cut you off, yeah. but I have a question for you. Do you think it's fair to throw a bill under the bus here? I, well, I, I like that there's a solid hard beat when she says, we should tell the truth, and everyone just looks at her and says, the fuck do you mean by that? And then she explains we that no one here was involved. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, oh. that's a very lawyer thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. But yeah, the, I mean, I, I'm willing to believe Weisel here that no, Bill wasn't, the sole guy that knew about this wasn't the one that was isolating this from the upper board. As he just said, it was a standing order from before Bill under Jerry and presumably even before that, that don't let any of this get back to anybody. And then Bill was the one who saw this and promptly did his job and cleaned it up because Bill's a nice guy and stopped it from happening anymore. And the fact that it didn't go any up far, any, well, quote unquote, didn't go up any farther would have been a standing corporate policy. We also probably know that that's bullshit, too, and that Logan was aware of everything at all times. Yeah, but... So I agree with you. I think Logan was aware, at least at a very high level, that there was some issue in cruises, specifically with Mo. He probably just says, oh, it's just Mo being Mo, you know, yeah. deal with that. But I don't think Bill should walk scot-free here. No, no, no. He actively participated in the cover-up. His act is... Yeah. When, when, you refer to, when we refer to it as cleaning it up, he stopped the practices... And then probably a lot of the NDAs were signed under his watch as he made active effort to suppress this knowledge getting out any further. He stopped it. He made it, presumably Cruz is a much more pleasant place to work based on everyone's reaction to working under Bill. Um, but he played an integral role in making sure this didn't blow back on the company. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well then we cut to the opening music. This is another Mark Malloyd episode, Spencer. We've talked about him in the podcast before. He'd done some Game of Thrones episodes. I believe he did some Always Sunny in Philadelphia episodes, too. He's got quite a career, and this show seems like it's basically his baby. I mean, he's like, is he like the standing executive producer of this show? Yeah, he is. Well, he gets executive producer credit for some of the episodes. Gotcha. So he seems like, depending on his schedule, he's very involved. But it, that, that guy's shooting up my ladder of, of TV directors. Um, he's He seems to be very good and has a, a broad range of stuff he can do. do I mean, if you do... Succession and Always Sunny and then Game of Thrones. Holy shit. You're covering the full range of comedy and drama there in all of its various varieties. So after the opening music, we cut to my main man, Greg, who walks in and says the following. I think I just uh, turned down a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a drink. You think I'm going to... Good call. I can, I, can drink, I can drink these, right? These are drinks for people. <laughs> Greg, despite being in the room, still a noob to actual wealth. Yes, every room you walk in in this apartment is going to have a mini bar, and it's open. <laughs> uh, one little uh, theory I have I just want to address before we leave it too far. Um, no real person involved totally sounds like something Logan would say. It oh, interesting. You think Logan coined the term? I think he was informed about this going on, waved his hand and said, eh, no real person involved. And they just made that the standing policy. 
I, it, Which is why he flipped out when he heard it. I, huh. I, it's it's such a Loganism. I think he's almost said something like that, referring to like the kid that went off the bridge or whatever else. Um, oh yeah. But uh, I, uh, I, I'm blanking on. Do we even know the name of the kid? Maybe we did. But I, don't, I don't remember right now. But the one that Log, the, the one that uh, Kendall was with when he died. Uh, uh, what's what's the girl's name? What? Oh, the chap, uh, the chap quit against it. His chap quit against it. Yeah, uh, I had a joke there, but I lost the name. Uh, Mary Joe Petney. Oh, uh, there you Mary, go. Mary bravo, bravo. It's, w- you. it's way too early for you to be able to remember that on the fly. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I know that's it. That's an interesting theory that Logan did it. Um, that Logan coined that term, and that you're right. It does sound like Logan, and it would explain. I mean, because that one thing is what. Because there was a lot of really terrible stuff in that piece that Logan dismissed, but that phrase in particular made him just cut the plug. Yeah. I, I have a hard time believing Logan wasn't aware of this in some way and didn't at least initially kind of set the policy of ignore, ignoring it. And it seems like that phrase would be such just a classic thing for him just waving his hand about and then just making it standing policy because it's the last thing he said. Right. Back to this conversation with Greg. He is talking to, I believe, who's he talking to? Connor? Connor and Tom. Connor and Tom. And he explains that, yeah, he he gave up a quarter billion dollars, $250 million to work for Logan, which Connor dismisses. And he's like, you gave up that to trust dad? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And then in a very Greg move, he says, well, my mom said that he'd leave me $5 million anyway. And they have to educate him on $5 million. Uh, Connor, you can't do anything with five, Greg. Five's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Can't retire. Not worth it to work. Oh, yeah. Five will drive you into un poco loco, my fine feathered friend. Richest person in America. Poorest the rich world's, person in America. The poorest rich person in America. The world's tallest dwarf. The weakest strong man at the circus. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting... I don't think we've seen many scenes of Connor and Tom hanging out together, but they serve as a good comedy duo working off each other. Yeah, they were. I, I blew through those lines, but they were kind of going back and forth there, little Abbott Costello. Um, but it does seem to resonate with Greg because Greg kind of goes apoplectic at the end of this conversation. What the fuck did I do? As he damn well should. I. Yeah. I, I totally. I mean, we debated to what degree would his granddad actually cut him off, and it appears to be those of us or those in the broader community that said totally would cut you off now were absolutely correct because that's what he did. Well, I think Logan's argument is he's going to tell you he cut you yes. off, but he's not actually going to do it. I'm still not we, taking we that risk. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. Shit, I'd be up in Canada railing against fucking climate change with Uncle Ewan. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a guaranteed $250 million from not working, from not doing anything, well, that's the easiest $250 million you've ever made in your life, son. <laughs> Absolutely. So then they pull Tom into the room. Um, this is the sort of secondary room where they're strategizing and Shib has now arrived. Roman explains that they are going to kill Bill. Logan mentions this will blow over in 48 hours and Shib's like, well, no, that is not true. She explains that Congress, specifically Gil Rivas, her old boss who's currently running for president and is also Bernie Sanders, is pushing for hearings. Jerry, we're going to get an invite to the great national latrine. Who wants to take a dump? It's yet another line that we've talked about before in the podcast that Roman could have easily said. Yeah. Logan screams that he can't have this now, probably in reference to the upcoming uh, shareholder vote Mm -hmm. to potentially remove him as the leader and and I think CEO and president 
of Waystar Royco due to the attempted takeover from Sandy and Stewie. Mm-hmm. Then he says he wants to jam the thing the fuck up. Well, Spencer, who does he think can jam the thing the fuck up? <sighs> Apparently there's a Florida team that he has available that he can call that will work that out. <laughs> I was so happy when I... Because I didn't remember this from watching it before. So when I was doing the rewatch and doing my notes, I, saw, I said the Florida gang, which I presume is like some congressional you know, caucus of, of Florida uh, representatives. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably Republican Florida reps that they can just guarantee to be on call to do whatever they want, and want them to do. Which is interesting because... You know, you talk about these no real person involved things. And I, I would think that, you know, one of the subsets of people that Logan, I, I just, I subscribe to your theory now, Logan coined, are temp workers, right? Yeah. These are seasonal workers, probably not U.S. citizens who were on the boat, waitress, whatever. Where are they leaving? They probably are leaving from a Florida port. I mean, if it's... If this is being a stand-in for the actual U.S. cruise industry, their substantial share of their cruises are leaving from Florida. So, yeah, Florida's at least participated in a hell of a lot of the cover-up of this. Right, yeah, so that's, it's interesting that it's the Florida gang. Also, it just made me laugh because you live in Florida. <laughs> well, you know, I laughed at it too because I, 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 they said it. I paused for a second and started laughing because, God damn, is that accurate? <laughs> they start to discuss who should testify. Ship explains, well, they'll want Logan. Which the room rejects. They say, no, we're not doing that. Which, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh no, Logan's going to have to testify. He can't get out of that. Unless he wants to step down. Hugo then suggests Jerry and Tom. Jerry takes issue with that. I love this back and forth. Jerry, you want to explain your thinking, Hugo? <laughs> yeah, I'm just positing here. Okay. Yeah, sure, but you're positing in my direction. So, <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, he exp- He's totally going, not wrong. No, I, hell, I would put Jerry out there. And I would tell Jerry, this isn't me throwing you under the bus. This is me saying you might be the only competent person fucking in this room capable of doing it. Yeah, I mean, for the reason to name the two, basically explains that, A, you're the general counsel. That looks, that's the person that we'd want out in front of this and the thing he doesn't say, but probably should have. You're the most competent person we have. You're the most capable individual you have. You've been had your head around this for longer than any of us. Of course you need to take charge over this. You're our attorney. Um... And it's the wonderful position of general counsel of appearing as both your your employee and your attorney and being able to wear both hats. As for Tom, he's the last guy holding the bag. He, of course he has to be out there. He was directly named in the interview. He's the last one that was running this damn thing. Who else are they going to put out there for it? Yeah, as Hugo puts it, Tom can speak operationally and he got heavy play in that interview. Tom would be good. Tom, it, with barely no hint, no hint of sincerity... Well, I see where you're coming from, Hugo, obviously, and I'd be happy to help. <laughs> yeah, there's just, he cannot contain himself of how unhappy he is with this scenario. Yeah. Uh, Carolina comes in and says they may be able to slow it down, but the Dems will push hard and they're pushing for Logan. Roman, do we say fuck him? Shib, fuck Congress? Yes, Shib, fuck Congress. Have I shocked you? Love that line. <laughs> Love that line. It's like, it's a yep. va- very rich person thing to do. Mm hmm. Logan pulls Roman out into the hallway. This is a very interesting subplot of this episode. He admits that this actually might not be okay, that Congress could spook the shareholders. He says a bad few minutes on camera and it could be the end. It's really interesting to see him admit this in private because previously it seemed like all of his staff were trying to tell him that, well, I don't want anyone to ever think of this as not being very bad. And Frank saying his very Frankish line of where we are unusually subject to the vicissitudes of public opinion. Uh... 
but yeah, and doesn't Carl then say, "I can, I can translate." That's Frank for "we're fucked." Yeah, <laughs> Carl is a good episode, um, but when he's now just with a person that outside of the various realms of people he can't control and the media operation that may leak out, when he's just with Roman, he drops it all and is like, "Okay, this is really damn bad. We need, we need to prepare an, op- an alternative now." Right. Exactly. And that alternative is apparently chasing down the quote sovereign wealth money. So going to some, you know, Eastern Europe or, you know, uh, Arabic country and finding a king and pumping that oil money. It's like they're purposely making whoever this is as generic as possible. They don't want to say a country. They don't want to tie it to anyone actual. They just want to say it's vaguely in the central part of Asia. Use your imagination. Didn't they say Turkey? No, they say they're meeting in Turkey. Oh, okay. Uh, which, yeah. given that Turkey is a republic, wouldn't work anyway for a sovereign figure. <laughs> Meh. Roman says it's a bit of a stretch assignment, <laughs> which is probably both a tactic um, and for uh, him to lead. Meaning, like, I, I think he wants to be involved in it, but I don't think he really wants to lead it. Yeah, yeah it's interesting here where it's his dad who's, who's you know... <laughs> Downpedaled, uh, really talked down to him for all the last couple seasons. That's saying, no, no, you can do this. You're the one who can get this done. And Roman's the one that's like, uh, well, maybe, but this sounds like something important, and that's not kind of my bag. Yeah, the quote is, I can say I can do it, I'm like a fireman in a movie, but. <laughs> Great response here from Logan. You act the fuck knuckle, but you know people like you. And I think, Spencer, is that the nicest thing Logan has ever said to Roman on the show? That may be the only compliment he's ever said to Roman on the show. And it's an interesting compliment because he didn't say, I like you, or you're smart, or you're capable. He just people like you. Yeah. And, but it's still a, a, a compliment. And it's an yeah. accurate assessment of Roman that he comes across as imminently likable, so long as you can get over the fact that he's... Roman in terms of that. Yeah. Roman agrees to do it, says uh, Logan says to keep him close and to take uh, Jamie Laird and Carl mm-hmm. with him. Uh, Roman asks about Marsha and if he's okay. This is this is a, like, I feel like Roman is growing up a little bit emotionally because he's like, Marsha's not around anymore. Is that okay? I mean, do you have somebody to talk to? And the father-son bonding time is now officially over. Logan, you know, you may want to screw your mother, but I'm okay in that department. Roman, it's good we can talk about this. <laughs> Great call, though, on Roman growing up, because I didn't expect Roman to broach that and be really legitimately serious about it. It's like, Dad, I we can actually talk right now if you want. And the dad just says, you want me to talk to a shrink? No, fuck off. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, shuts that right down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, actually like a shockingly normal thing to say to your father when it looks like he's... About to go through a divorce. Yeah, we've debated Roman before, but it has been assessed by both us and by Rhea and other people that he's unseasoned, he's not serious enough, he's too much of a wastrel to take it seriously. But he's cap- there's a, a, a potential adult here. There's a potential person <laughs> that can rise to the occasion and do some legitimately impressive things. And maybe as a result of his growing relationship with Jerry, maybe as a result of the fact that He's actually having to be around everybody rather than off at various parties or wherever else. They're starting to get to be a, get getting to be a bit of a shine to this turd. <laughs> we should put that on a t-shirt. PAH, potential actual human. <laughs> Raya comes in. Raya, not happy. Mm-hmm. 
Logan tries to reassure her. Uh, good quote from Ray here. She doesn't actually have a lot of them, but this one's okay. It's fun to be the new bride, rearranging the furniture, putting flowers out. You just don't think you'll find a corpse in the freezer. <laughs> Between that and referring to herself as, I'm I'm like your prophylactic. Yeah, she's she is in rare form with how pissed off she is. She's dropping all pretenses of her well-conditioned Nan Pierce politeness. Yeah, no, this is the real Ray you're getting. And Logan says this wasn't planned. And that is true from Logan's perspective. It is definitely not true from Shib's perspective. Mm -hmm. But Rhea says by either design or not, she has no room to move. She comes in to greet the team. Yeah, half-hearted effort here. Uh, as she's walking in, Shib says there's no one better to lead them through this. And Rhea doesn't even respond to her. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't merit a response. After the shitty pep talk, she walks out, tells Logan they look scared. Logan says they're okay. Says that they got this. Uh, Rhea says, look after yourself, Okay. Yep. Now, I have a theory about why she said, look after yourself, okay? What's your theory? I'm curious. One is that I think she actually does, in some weird way, find Logan, like, attractive and charming. Mm -hmm. Two, I think she's astute enough, and I'm not sure how many people, other than maybe Jerry or Carolina, maybe Hugo, understand that this could not, this, this doesn't just mean that Logan might lose the company. It means Logan might go to jail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of implications from this. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bigger deal than, oh man, I'm just trying to win the shareholder vote. Also, what phrase does she say as she's signing off upon delivering her half-hearted inspirational speech? Does she say, say, say something like toodle? Toodle pip. What the hell is toodle pip? No idea, but I'll start the uh, the next segment if you want to Google it and see if it's a thing. Uh, I'm Googling toodle pip. Never thought I'd say that phrase before. <laughs> Roman, Jamie, and Carl get on a plane. Then we see they're watching a soccer soccer practice. I guess this is in Turkey. Uh, Roman confuses the Hibs and the Hearts yet again. Roman bluntly asks Edward if they are interested in taking them private. Edward says yes, which shocks Carl, uh, Jamie Laird, and Roman. Edward asks them to... No, this is where he says go to Turkey the next day to pitch to his father. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what Toodle Pip is? Uh, toodle Pip is apparently a very British way of saying goodbye. It's like toodaloo. Totally, I can picture her picking up from being around Nan Pierce and her gang for saying yeah, that. That's exactly where my mind went. It's probably like, that's like the commonplace thing to say at the end of a meeting at the Pierce Corporation. I mean, it's usually used to mock how the upper class would say it, but it's a stage here of where, no, that's how the upper class is actually saying it. <laughs> um, so Edward gives the team a pep talk here, and it's clear that he's an actual soccer fan because he's like giving them like, okay, well, you need to do this on the press and... He's talking through some tactics about the actual game mm -hmm. and kicks it to Roman. Rome, I'm going to say this. I'm, it's going to go long, but I'm going to do this entire pep Please. talk, Spencer, right. because it made me belly laugh. You know, it's early in the morning. Uh, I need to be inspired. Give it to me. Yes. Uh, yeah, Spencer, anytime that you're struggling at work or in your personal life or anything, just run back this podcast. These lines, it'll get you through the day. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really proud to be associated with you guys. Well, what the fuck can I tell you that you don't already know? You, you all got this, guys. Don't worry about it. Because you guys are a team. And uh, when a team is a team, it can actually physically be beaten. It's impossible. So go hard. Go fast. Go, you lovely bastards. <laughs> Girl, go, you lovely bastards. <laughs> From an, I don't fucking know. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> the worst pep talk in the history of television. Uh, you know... It's a little bit unfair that he was just on the fly being told it's now his turn to do a pep talk. But this sounds like a pep talk that I would deliver on the fly. It is an effort at hitting various checkboxes. 
but man, this hit not land at all. Oh yeah, I could totally see like if we just this podcast took off and we sold it for like two hundred million dollars, and we had a stake in a sports team, like let's say like a minor league basketball team mm-hmm. or something, like a like the NBDL or like something over in Australia, and I uh, I just said, um, hey Spencer, uh, talk to the guys. <laughs> well, guys, uh, your team, you're gonna put that ball through that basket, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's winning. Yep, and, and there will be running involved, and you guys, you guys run good, <laughs> and yeah, keep with that. <laughs> but I will tell you though, like just following sports, and obviously this is a very, very small level, but following sports, the owners are expected to talk to the team, like. That's the thing they do. I, th- I thought that's what they got the general manager to do for them so they didn't have to do. No, the GM is who, we're down a rabbit hole, but the GM is who actually goes out and deals with filling out the roster, hiring the coach, hiring all the people. Mm-hmm. But the owner is the ultimate leader. And, and usually they, you know, they're kind of involved. They give they give some speeches. So I don't think it's weird that Edward would throw it to him. I just think knowing what we know about Roman, it's fucking hilarious. I mean... This is the two owner team. There's the public face owner, and then there is Roman. And I think this just clearly established to all involved who is who. Yeah, absolutely. At least to the players. Cut to Roy's opening, uh, or the Roy's arriving at Capitol Hill. I believe this is the Senate building they're in. Cut back to Roman talking to Jamie Laird. He's trying to coach Roman uh, on what to say, and Roman is pretty annoyed. Roman calls Shib as she's walking into the Senate building. Shib explains that Jerry and Tom are going first, followed by Logan and Kendall. Well, just just to address that conversation, because it, it's another, I think, really good Roman moment of where, you know, Laird's tr- basically trying to serve the role that he's clearly on this mission for to provide all of the knowledge and the expertise and the guidance that Roman can just serve as the face on. And he offers like, you know, can I give you a bit of a guide on the relations between these countries? And Roman pretty quickly just kind of rattles off the major plot points to a degree that Laird looks at him and kind of actually is a little bit impressed for a second. It's like, oh, you've actually done your legwork before we've started. All right. Well, this is going to go easier than I thought. Question for you on Laird. Do you think he's maybe a little overrated? Ah. It's a, it's a, are we sure he's smart situation for me? Well, I'm going to go with smart. I'm going to go with capable enough because... The people that seem to view him as smart and capable are smart and capable people. And the advice he usually gives us is pretty solid. And also, as we'll see going forward, I'm legitimately impressed with how he handles himself. He and Roman handle themselves in what eventually becomes a hostage situation. So yeah, that deserves some credit. To be a, seems to be a little bit of a financer yes man. I mean, I've, I've never, like in the show to date, I don't know that we've been in a situation where like Laird offered something and everybody went, oh yeah. You're right, I hadn't thought of that. Well, the one moment that I think we should he should get some credit for is he's one of the first people that... Originally, he tries to deliver some bullshit to Logan about just when Logan's asking for advice about the financial situation. And Logan, you know, kind of forces him through it. And then he drops all pretenses and delivers some hard-hitting advice to Logan that even Logan just kind of to smile and shake his head at because, okay, yeah, that assessed the situation. Got what I wanted there. You know what? You're right. That... that in in Logan's dining room. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm wrong. That's the one moment. But I, I still think the guy might be a tad overrated. Fair, but it's who um, they got. Sure, and we get a great Roman line here. How's selling the family cow for magic beans? That's that's from Jim Shib. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah that's right. Just a just a dipshit, a sex pest, and a grand old Duke of Dork on a Central Asian vacation. Nope, nothing to see here. Thanks. Who is who? Who is who? <laughs> 
Uh, dipshit is Carl. Yeah. Sex Pest is Roman. Yeah. Grand old Duke of Dork. Um, I'm gonna go with Laird. Good call. Good call. I was I was curious whether I was curious whether you thought Roman was referring to himself as the dipshit or not, given that we know that Carl is involved with so many whores. But uh, yeah, probably he's referring to himself as the sex pest. Could go either way. And he's talking to Shib, so he likes to work in something sexual about himself. Every fucking conversation. Very awkward. Tom, Logan, Shib, and Jerry see Bill waiting for them. Bill! Bill! <laughs> nice guy. God, can't believe he made the long trip in from Maryland. <laughs> Sly move here by Bill. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a Bill truther here. I think he's a closet asshole. Mm. <laughs> okay, explain. Go on. Well, he just, like, what he did to Tom was shitty. Mm-hmm. When he got the air gap computer and just said, hey, here are the files. Do with them what you want. Mm-hmm. Like, do, no, the, the appropriate thing to do there is not tell Tom shit, because otherwise you implicate him in the whole thing, which Tom immediately knew. And he was like, Fuck, <coughs> why, did I, why do I even know about this? The fact that he shows up here, pretends like he's just one of the gang. What is this quote here? Hey, Magic Johnson is still a Laker, even if he's not on the team, right? Uh, and then later in the episode, something he says to Logan, which we'll get to. I think is a lot of evidence that Bill has a lot more asshole in him than everybody recognizes. I don't necessarily see it as asshole. I see it as don't assume the nice guy is an idiot. It's that, no, he's very astute. He's very aware and he's very good at this politics. He's just very good at marketing himself and doing that. Yep. Bill walks off. They all say it's nice that he came, which I don't understand why they don't see through that and says, uh, they still say adios, Bill. Rest in peace, Billy boy. Yeah, it's interesting. When they first walk up, they're all horrified because everyone likes Bill. And they were the mindset of, I have to stab a guy. I'd really prefer if he's not there or at least looking away from me when I do it. And now with him present, they have no choice. Yeah, I don't know. I've dealt with people like this in the workplace where they have this really super nice veneer. Mm -hmm. And it's like folksy and they'll tell you little stories and jokes. And then... You know, you get in a one-on-one with them, and you have a different opinion, and then they kind of drop it, and they're like, "Hey, fuck you!" And you, <laughs> and then you're like, "God!" I hate. Every time you hear the folksy after that, you fucking resent it. I think Bill might be one of those people. Well, also, look at this stuff from Bill's perspective. You know what? You know what's going on. You know these guys know what they're likely going to do. It seems like he's taking active steps to defend himself in this situation, and that's not necessarily assholic. That's just what he's got right now. Yeah, I just hate that folksy veneer when I know it's fake. Again, all of your animosity towards me is just suddenly explained. Oh, you don't. You're not folksy, Spencer. <laughs> you're you're delightfully charming, but I wouldn't call you folksy. I, I love your defense about that. Is I hate this folksy veneer that hides an asshole, and I say, well, you know, and then you say in response to me, well, you're not folksy. <laughs> um, we cut to the back room, and uh, okay, folks, here we go. Frank, great line here, prepping everybody. Are you now, or have you ever been a member of a cruise uh, of the cruise dirty sex fuck cover up party? Frank's got some <laughs> solid lines this episode. <laughs> Hugo is prepping Tom. Uh, great advice here. I felt like he explains this is a courthouse. Uh, it's a stage. Then I think he goes a little far. He tells him to filibuster, which I'm not sure Tom is really capable of doing. Mm-mm. I think if I was advising Tom, I would have said silence is your friend. Yeah. Every time you get asked a question. Just read one page of notes of something and just say, hold on, I'm, I'm checking here, Senator, I'm checking, and then answer. Yeah, this seems like the kind of advice that isn't tailored towards its audience, of where that is right. solid advice to give to Kendall or Jerry or somebody that is capable of maintaining that conversation, but I fully agree. For Tom, if he knew Tom, which I don't think he clearly doesn't that well, 
Uh, right. The advice to Tom would be, well, here's your tagline. Find a way to return to this 100 times. And and make sure that you respond as slowly as you can. But yeah, no, that, that's, that's a great uh, way to frame that, Spencer. He just wasn't considering who Tom is and Tom's ability. Tom and Jerry walk out and take a seat. Um, I don't know about you, Spencer, but when I saw Tom and Jerry come out and they're sitting there and they're about to start this hearing, I was as hyped as I've ever been for this show. It, it, it was, yeah, it was like, the game is on. The players have entered the room. Let's see what happens. You can just almost hear. I was so excited. Yeah, I also just now realized that it's Tom and Jerry. I hadn't really catch that reference to you know, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which plays out accurately with what goes on from here. It kind of does, and I wonder if that's like a little little Easter egg for folks from the writers. Chairwoman calls it to order, and this is the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Now we cut to Roman pitching. Spencer, what do you think about Roman's pitch? Um, it it first rubbed me a bit off because it was a little bit coarse, to put it mildly. It was a little bit of Roman, but looking through that and looking through where it starts, it pretty quick goes away from it's actually a pretty effective pitch. I think it really hits the notes he needs to, and it seems like it resonates pretty well with his audience. This is, you, you, you talked before about when he was when he and his teammate were delivering his pitch for that product back in that mm -hmm. uh, um, junior manager training course, whatever it was, about how right. well they really did with that and how mm -hmm. successful they were. This guy's actually really capable of being a salesman, of marketing things when he has an idea and is able to get his hands around it. He's really prepped. I, I was actually kind of impressed with this. It's basic, it but it really does hit the notes it needs to, and it seems like it works really well with them. I think most effective pitches are basic. True. Because you have to be able to like understand it quickly in the moment. It's like the idea of a, like an elevator pitch, right? Mm -hmm. But here's what he says. Just look at the cash flow. We are undervalued. I think tech just had everybody shitting their pants about legacy media, but really the wheel turns, and most tech is overvalued. We're profitable. We're real money. I thought that was good. Yeah, I think it was an excellent addressing of what their most likely question is going to be before they even get to it. It's like, well, aren't you guys out of date? It's like, no, no, no. We're book. We're actual, like, real property. Their potential. This is money now that you know it works. And that's a great way of responding to that issue of you're a dinosaur. It's that, well, that's because you know what I am in a way you can never expect for them. That I... I I'm really impressed with Roman throughout this episode. He really does well. Yeah, I agree. Then some random people, then it all goes to shit. Some random people come walking in and they are just chatting. Spencer, have you ever been in a country that had the type of instability where there's the potential for you're in the hotel and people just come in with guns and you're just there for six days? You know, I know those are circles that you run in fairly frequently. For me... You know, it hasn't come up. I feel like I've lost that opportunity in my life that I haven't had that experience. Well, I no, I, I mean, I, I get your your answer there, but you do travel a lot, it's so I, true. I just didn't. Yeah, I just didn't know if, like, you know, growing up or something, you went to like Venezuela or something. I didn't know. Uh well, um, uh, well, in terms of literal hostage situation, no. In terms of being caught in vaguely despotic countries and situations, I prefer to get out of. Sure, we've talked about that on different podcasts. No, and, and yeah, what I meant was not in this exact situation, but you're in a country where this situation could arise. Yeah. And you're like cognizant of it mm -hmm. because I, I have a couple of time for work. It's been years ago. And like I was watching this and like I almost had flashbacks of like, God, that, that would have been my nightmare in that country. Mm -hmm. People you don't know, they vaguely military, they have guns, they walk in. And Roman 
he's concerned, but I think it takes him a while to catch up. I don't think he was really, I don't think really, he really understood he was in a country where this could happen, as evidenced by the fact he kept asking for his one security guard, as if that was going to do anything. Yeah. Are we assuming that security guard is dead now, or just out of the equation in a way that's going to be choose not to be explained? I don't think anybody was killed. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, that... I think if Dave was killed, I think that might have, maybe, I don't know, we might have... <laughs> that might have brought the military out. Yeah, I mean, and, and he may have found out about that before they left. Yeah, this seems like it is a hostage-taking, but it's a relatively polite hostage-taking. This is just a financial transaction that's going on right now. It's something political in the background is being negotiated. Yeah. They explain there's a concern about Dave, and that we are, but Edward does, and that we are better with these guys. Edward's face does not betray <laughs> that he actually <laughs> believes this. Roman pulls out his phone and they take it away from him. Yeah, as well from as well. I think they pull it out of. Uh, it's, it's not, they either pull it out of Laird or Carl's hands, and the other one immediately just goes, "Nope." Well, here you go, and just hands it over to me. It was like this is the pattern now. But yeah, anyway. But my convoluted point at the beginning of this was: if you're traveling to sketchy places, this is your worst fucking nightmare. Yeah, this is every kind of thing about why you keep. There are occasionally countries you go to of where you look up the name for the local U.S. embassy or the local U.S. Um, what's the term for the small embassy again? I'm suddenly blanking. Consulate. Uh, Consulate so yeah. if, if in need be, you can get, get them on speed dial right away. Uh, I don't think they assumed that this was going to be that kind of situation. Yeah. But that's what they're in. Back, Cut back to Washington. And now we're in kicking it in the gear. Spencer, the chairwoman, turns it over for questioning to Senator Gil Evis. Mr. Wamsgans, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Nice little shitting on his name right to start with. Mm. Uh, he knows how to say Wamsgans. A man was fucking married to his somebody working for. Him. He went. Didn't he go to their? Did he go to their wedding? He went to their wedding. Yeah, yeah he did. He totally knows the name. Yep. Uh, I don't know how much of this we want to go through, but basically, what ends up happening here is that Gill establishes that Lester McClintock rewarded women who worked for him if they gave him sex. Tom fumbles, bumbles, and stumbles all the way through his answers. We finally get to, I will at least call this one out. This email, this is this is coming from Gil Evis. He is referencing a particular email. This email, you call Lester McClintock Mo. Why? Tom, I guess I think it was just a nickname. Evis, mm-hmm. You call him Mo over 30 times in emails to family and colleagues, <laughs> but you never use it in the items of correspondence sent to him privately, for instance, during his illness. Why not? Uh, Tom, Senator, I, I don't know. You don't know. He was called Mo, but always behind his back. Uh, uh, I'd have to look at the emails. <laughs> have to look at the emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, Gil settles on Mo. Mo Lester. Mo Lester. That never came up? <laughs> I mean, <sighs> Gil... I don't know that Gill is the most skilled. He's not like Elizabeth Warren of the Senate, mm. I don't think, because later on he gets kind of tagged by Kendall. But he is running circles around Tom here. This is really bad. And there's period during this back and forth, there's periodic cuts to the back room where Logan and Kendall and Shib are. And the look, I mean, the actress who plays Shib, I thought did really well with some of those looks because mm. it's a sense of like panic and absolute embarrassment. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's at one point uh, Hugo even turns to her and says something along the lines of, what's it like being married to the guy with two assholes? Yeah. Um, we we conclude with um, Tom says, yes, Senator, I can I can see that. I just think he he seemed a little bit like one, maybe. Molester. But we didn't know anything. And then this is the, the death kneel, the finishing move, 
Well, if he seemed a little bit like one, don't you think it behooved the people in charge to find out if he was one? And that sets the war room off. They're all moaning and calling out, and Chib is just, ugh, she's just horrified. Could this have gone worse? I mean, we've talked before about situations of where throwing up on somebody would be a better alternative to what you actually did. This seems like it's rivaling Shiv at the Nan Pierce dinner table in terms of just how bad of a fuck-up it is, if not even exceeding it. I think he could have walked out there, vomited, explained that he was on heroin, and got let out, and it would have been better than this shit. Because at least then it would have been like a personal issue. But this, he just completely cops to the fact that everybody called him Mo Lester. He had no... I mean, how is that not going to come up in prep? And it, I don't have an answer to the Mo Lester thing. That is one of the most damning bits of evidence you ever have about in terms of the higher ups being aware of what's going on. Why do you, why does Tom not have a paid answer in response to that? I don't know what that paid answer is going to be, but you should have workshopped that one. Oh, I think you. I think what you do is you find out other nicknames that people call other people in the company behind their back. So here's an example. I don't know if you use this one, but you can say, yeah, we called him molester because he was creepy, but we also called Kendall a crackhead. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he ever did crack. He just like smoked some weed and drank. Yeah. R- R- Roman was in charge of the entire entertainment division. You know what we called him behind his back? Still. Yeah. We have a lot of off-color jokes and remarks. We're a close-knit company. And this is the kind of things you do around friends, whatever else. You make fun of each other. You don't necessarily mean it seriously or think it has any merit. You just focus on a little aspect, something that goes on from there. Instead, Tom says, well, he might have just seemed a little bit like one. (laughs) No, bad Tom. Bad. No cookie. Uh, Back to Turkey. Roman is starting to freak out. Edward tries to explain that this is an administrative action function. (laughs) Roman sees someone being turned away from leaving at gunpoint. Edward says that these are anti-corruption guys. Tries to spin it as a party or a conference. Roman asks, well, what if they don't want to go to this party or conference? Edward explains this is the type of party that you have to go to. I love that Edward at no point just comes out directly and says what this is. He has to do it in this kind of weird series of euphemisms throughout the entire experience. Is, yeah. is he trying to distance himself from the moment, or does he assume that these guys just can't take it if he comes out with it? I think it's both. Yeah. And I also think it's a little bit of pride. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's true. I think he and his dad have taken it on the chin that they're in this situation. Yeah, they. Do, I mean, they're getting sh- shaked down here, and they were in a position of power being pitched to. So I don't think they want to admit that weakness. Cut back to D.C. And Gil points out that there are about 40,000 documents that they're interested in that aren't oh. available. Tom, was, uh, Greg was very busy that night, apparently. Jerry does a great job here. She explains that they were deleted as part of just normal data management. Gil pushes the issue, and Jerry goes, well, I'm not an expert, but my understanding is this is just part of the process. Which is the response you have to have to that question for why spoilation is occurring, is that, no, 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 there's nothing intentional about this. We've got a regular cycle of deleting documents after three to four years. We don't examine them beforehand. Every document goes through this. Jerry knows this job a lot better than Tom does. Gil points out that on Thanksgiving last year, certain boxes um, were apparently emptied. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were full in August. And who checked them out? A man named Gregory Hirsch. Now, I asked you a very pointed question when we were reviewing that that episode on the pod. I said, why did Greg use his name? And you, you posited that he couldn't have got them checked out under a fake name, which I think Tom probably could have 
yes worked out a fake name situation so that i, I felt like and maybe i was kind of tipping my hand a little bit for what would come later during that pod but i felt like that was a a fatal error on their part to actually put greg's name on those logs no you're suggesting that tom and greg aren't the ultimate criminal masterminds that would be adept in covering their tracks from the very beginning of the operation color me surprised yeah they they just they they're the type of guys who um have documents that are damning to the company and write secret on the outside (laughs) well but no if you open it up it says receipts ah Uh, then he says, so Gil says, Gregory Hirsch. He says, is that someone you know, Mr. Wamsgan? Tom, uh, no. He's right fucking behind you. No, Tom. (laughs) Screams, uh, screams Shib in the back. Oh, yes, yes, sorry, yes. Known, known, known to me, yes. In that sense, yes. In what sense? Uh, in the sense that, uh, uh, that I understood that you meant... I just complete fucking meltdown here from Tom. Yeah, and it only yeah it continues. The only only redeeming feature of this is we get a wonderful line that he apparently sends emails by of you can't make a tomlet without breaking some Gregs. <laughs> Gil points out that he sent the same email between three a.m. and five a.m. to Greg sixty-seven oh, times. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, and this is, I think, Gil pivoting from establishing the facts of the cruise scandal and all the horrible shit that happened on the ships to just how awful a company Waystar is at the HQ level. Yeah. Because this line of questioning is visibly uh, or, or surely about trying to establish that Tom is abusive to his employees. Oh, yeah. So not as long, not only does he talk about the excessive emails with the Tomlet Greg thing, he also asks about footstooling. And we know from previous episodes this season that that's something Tom does. If he wins a bet with uh, you know a subordinate, he will literally put them on the ground and use them as a footstool. Is there any logical way that Tom's career has survived this moment? I mean, how... Could they not use him now as the... Forget Bill. Bill. I mean, I like that Tom even tries to direct it to Bill at one point earlier in this, and Evis just cuts him off entirely. Tom is now the face of this. Tom must burn. I don't see how on earth he isn't one of the people that goes down because of this now. He has to. (laughs) After this horrendous performance, there's no way they can save him, right? I don't know. I mean, you know, he is married to Shib, uh, so they can always stash him somewhere. But I agree. This is this is as bad as you could do in this situation. Uh, I, I do go back to that moment that you pointed out. And thank you for, for pointing it out where he tries to bring up Bill and Gil just goes, uh-huh. Because I, I think what the thought bubble there from Gil is, yeah, but Bill isn't married to a woman who quit my campaign and insulted me. And, you know, it, it happens to be the daughter of the man I most hate in the world right and bill's not an active i'm going after you dude oh yeah and also just from a terms of that's a great point but additional value too bill's an ex-employee he is no longer imminently connected with the current company you are still there you still have in knowledge you are still connected with everybody else that i actually want to hit you have way more value than an ex-employee that they can just write off during the line of questioning greg is visibly freaked out oh yeah and when Tom doesn't deny the footstool, we cut. This is the line you referenced earlier. Hugo, very pointed, turns around, looks at Shib. What's it like to be married to a man with two assholes? Yeah. 
Frank, if I had to give Tom a grade, it would be a B plus. Bad plus terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that might be line of the episode. Oh, yeah, solid line. It's just, and then Tom tries to walk in the room and blame everybody else. It's like, no, Tom. Yeah, you should have been a little bit better prepped, but we, the world just saw how utterly incompetent you are. I'm a patsy. I'm the meat in the sandwich. Greg Greg comes in the back and he's just pacing saying fuck 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 rambling about losing a quarter of a billion Logan yells at Greg you outside mm-hmm. out fucking side Kendall asks if they, Kendall's like really level headed here uh, Kendall asks if there's any way Shib can figure out how much more of that they have to deal with because they don't he didn't think they can survive much more uh, Logan goes over to Tom you yeah I'm sorry Logan, shit show. What a fucking shit show. <laughs> that's how he. That's how he comforts Tom. Yeah, I, I love that Logan is always just such the adult in the room that they immediately become chasing children, regardless of whether they're actually related to him or not. When he just looks down at them, it's just like all he can say upon this of God looking towering over him is sorry. Yep, Ship walks into Gil's office, and who is there? Fucking Nate. Nate. Ugh. Gil immediately wants to know if anybody saw her come in. She points out that he's on ATN a lot lately. This may come up again. Mm-hmm. He says they like the ratings. So, I mean, this Gil guy, the fucking, the ego on him is starting to, starting to flail. Ship offers to give him dirt on the weasel and starts to pour out some of the oppo research they've done on him, which is kind of damning. Apparently he's had like substance abuse issues, alcohol issues, divorced, you know, separated from kids. I mean, it, he, he does have a bit of a rap sheet. He works at this company. Are we surprised? Yeah, well, I mean, that's almost like a requirement, right? Mm. And how many divorces, sir? Two? Mm, we're looking for three for this position. Yeah, we want to know somebody that has able to keep their options open and uh, afraid you don't measure up. Gil said he's not interested. Um, he says that they have something better than than the weasel. That there's something else. There's another shoe that's going to drop here. Why on and earth, other than like Bond villain needing to gloat, would they tell her this? That's, that's what I'm talking about. The Gil's ego is starting to get, and, and, it, and not starting to get. It's it, it's at a place that's eventually going to bite him. And we see that in his back and forth with Kendall because I think that when. Logan and Kendall come out. We're about to get to this uh, this moment. Gil still thinks he's talking to Tom, and he underestimates Kendall badly. Um, she wants to know how Ship wants to know how much better this person is than Weasel Nate. It rhymes precisely with your fucked. That might be line of the episode. That's a, gr- that's, that's a yeah. We're gonna have a hard time for line of the episode here, even if we focus on Roman. There's a lot of great lines. Yeah, it's a heavy dialogue episode. I mean, this is a heavy dialogue show, but this one maybe more so than, than other episodes. Very much so. Ship goes into the war room. She explains that she's found out. Now, I don't know how she gets this information, but I it's to your point. She apparently has a bunch of other folks that she can go mine information from. If Gil hadn't tipped, off to, tipped her off to their strategy, she wouldn't have known what questions to ask. But apparently, she was able to figure it out. It, it, and they have they have a victim who's willing to speak out. It's either that or then off-camera, Nate and Gil just tell her, which would be even dumber. But either way, absolutely, if they had not given her any hint here, if they just played mom, just like, well, we're talking to Logan and Kendall next, they could have killed them. They would have ended the company. All, everybody would have been going to prison. And <laughs> the fact they decided to show off just that they had this weapon on hand is just the dumbest 
most... <sighs> I, I'm just utterly, utterly flabbergasted that they would feel the need to tell Shiv that. Yeah, very stupid. Overconfident. But Shiv does explain that they have a victim who's willing yeah. to speak, speak out. They all panic. Jerry points out that if she goes public and the other NDAs start to fall, mm-hmm. timely, mm-hmm. could this could be over. It could be done. Spencer, when she says other NDAs fall, it, it, here's my understanding of what she's referencing. Tell me if I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have all of these women, all these potential victims or people who were somehow involved in this that have signed NDAs, probably have some sort of settlement. And if one bre- like breaks the NDA and talks, that the others may feel compelled to do the same thing. And then when you have 25 people who have broken the NDA and have spoken out, well, at that point, you know, the dam is broken and the, the water's flooding in. There's nothing you can do. Well, and there's a certain point of where an undisclosure is only valid to the degree it's not already public knowledge. And once it starts to come out, well, there's not as many limitations on you in terms of revealing your own experiences with it. And that would be another nightmare. I don't I don't want to know how many NDAs they have with respect to this. I don't even want oh, to God. know what, how long and how many people molest are affected. But I can only imagine it is, like you said, it's the freaking dam bursting. Hmm. Cosby numbers. Uh, <laughs> what a world we live in. In walks Rhea. Uh, she still is just looks like she's at an 11 uh, with how angry she is. Hugh points out that they got this lady through Senator Gilliard. Gilliard, Spencer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gillibrand? Yep. Gillibrand much? Yes, just a bit. <laughs> and Rhea says she knows her. Spencer, how did Hugo know that they got the lady through Senator Gilliard? I... It seemed like he was just told. By Shib about the victim, and she didn't mention anything about Senator Gilliard. Uh, unless he has some insider information he's only now revealing, maybe he just thought it out real quick about who would be the logical person to have found it based on what knowledge they have. But I don't know. Do you? I think it's a uh, just an inconsistency in the writing. Possibly so. Because, uh, yeah, there's, there's not much that you can explain there. I mean, it, clearly Hugo just found the information out. Now he's offering who what senator found this woman. But I still feel the Gilliard Gillibrand thing is just so on the nose it made me moan. Uh, there's a reference you've made before about someone not being a, a, a proper wartime consigliere referencing uh, the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Rhea is very much that. This is not a. This is not the, the. This is not the person you want taking you through a war. She is constantly shell shocked to even be part of this. Yeah. Spencer, question for you. Are you banging your table as you're talking? I was for a moment there. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So I'm just picking it up. What, what, I normally wouldn't have pointed it out, but it's actually kind of funny because I'm just imagining you in the courtroom like, no, this is the... <laughs> do you do that in court? Do you bang on the table like it that? It adds emphasis. A percussive effect really does help the notes resonate. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, Kendall reiterates... Um, well, Logan asked Rhea to go talk to her. And maybe we can apologize, which Reyes seems absolutely horrified at the request. I would be too. I think this is just a scummy of all scummy moves. I also don't think it's particularly smart because if the victim doesn't flip, now she can also say, well, you know, like Shib Roy came to me yeah. and tried to get me to flip. That's that's how scared they are of this. And that's how much they're trying to cover it up. Also, you're an intelligent man. You would know how Thanks. to kill somebody when you need to, in terms of, you know, real or metaphorical. Uh, if you're Gil, you've got this woman in a box, right? You've got handlers on her at all times, right? Because you have to figure on the off chance that this information gets out, that they're going to do something to get to her, right? 
How is she just alone in a park? Uh, well, what you have done in this situation, as soon as you've identified that she is willing to talk, you put her up in a suite with her son and any of their friends that they want to be there. And you say, if you need anything at all, you just tell my folks and they will go get it for you. And we'll come get you when it's time to testify. And when she asks, and when, we, your safety is the most important thing to us. And when she asks whether she can call out, you find a very polite way to say, good fuck no. Yeah. No, you, you isolate the person and you make sure that, that people can't get to them. And that's exactly what Gil did not do here again. You know, Gil. Over, you know, overconfident. Overconfident as shit. He is assuming he's already won here, and he does not understand how these people play, apparently. Now it's time for Logan and Kendall. Let's get ready. Guys, it's almost time. They're heading back in. So we've got to get this show on the road. One last time, just in case they're super direct. Did you, Logan Roy, witness any assaults on your ships or take part in them? I'm not going to answer a fucking question like that. Uh, uh, I thought that's just a no. <laughs> so this slogan has been prepped, but it doesn't look like much of it really permeated. And I, I love that. The, I don't know who turns to Hugo and said, well, don't, don't worry. It's just low blood sugar. I think it's Hugo that responds. Gary does. Yeah, and I think Hugo responds hilariously because this team is just barely even holding together how frustrated they are with their people right now. Uh, could you give them a chocolate suppository? Just to slip a Snickers bar up there? <laughs> So in walks Kendall and Logan. And wait, is that Naomi? Naomi is there. Naomi is in the building. She's come to support Kendall. Oh, I love Kendall. that she came to this. I love that she came to this. That was like one of the few heartwarming moments of this episode. I love that they may be a thing. This is, please, please, Kendall, find some way out of this and run away with Naomi. You've both got the money. You already presented, to, presented it to her as an option. Just leave. You can do it. Even with just your stock value, if you look at it all now, you'd be fine for a dozen lifetimes. Just go. Think of all the date nights they could have. Taco Tuesday. Crack Pipe Friday. <laughs> buy shit you don't need Saturday. <laughs> this is the kind of scenario and the kind of relationship where I feel like I lack the necessary imagination for the fun that the two of them could have. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair for both of us. Um, then Connor is approached by a fan. What? <laughs> <laughs> he says that there are a lot of con heads rooting for him i don't know what he has anything i mean what are you rooting for him but connor doesn't have anything to do with the company so i don't know what you're rooting for his political campaign right i guess but he he, to, he makes a point of like i don't know i thought that the way he framed it was like hey you know in the in the trappings of all of this we're rooting for you my guess is is that Connor's that kind of political campaign where it's less a political campaign and just all about him and his meme-tastic potential. And so whatever he does now, he's the face of it and they support him. He's like the Herman Cain of the Democratic Party. Oh, hell yeah. Cut back to Turkey where Roman, uh, Jamie, and Carl are still trapped in a hotel lobby. Roman plays I Spy With My Little Eye. He says H. Jamie. Hostages? Yep. All right, you are smart. Took all twenty seconds. <laughs> he moves on to a game of fuck, Mary kill, mm -hmm. and uses the executive floor. And I, I, I love how differently the three of them are handling this. If where Roman and Laird are just, they're trying to fill their time. They're honestly kind of treating this as would be good for a positive psychology as unseriously as possible. It's just a thing they're going through. It's like they're stuck at an airport. Meanwhile, Carl is in the background, dying on a just dying. <laughs> Yeah, he explains uh, after. Well, they play fuck yeah, Mary we'll Kill first, 
And Jamie says it kills Raya. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> kills Raya too. Fuck Elsa and marry Jerry. Roman has a completely over-the-top reaction to this. Ew, ew, Jerry. Fuck Jerry. Ew, ew, gross. Ew. Like I would, if I was in this conversation, I'd be like, okay, well, there's something going on there. But he ends it with hot. Ugh. <laughs> I like that Laird's laughing it off too as it's going on. It's like they're just, tr- they're trying to treat this as like their buddies just having fun. It seems like it's working for the two of them. But yeah, I, Roman's reaction is it's constantly trying to push somebody about his own ideas. It's just like he has already proposed to Jerry and he's trying to check with this guy about whether he's actually serious about this would be something I want. Yep. Um, Ed, uh, Carl, they, Roman asks Carl to play. Carl says he's having a panic attack. They try to deal with him. Then Roman sees someone get taken out of the room. Not a good sign. Edward comes back. He says, it's all good. He says the president's daughter's husband is asking to take control of a key few assets. <laughs> so his uh, president's son-in-law uh, is making a power grab here. Mm-hmm. Roman, uh, I can, can I ask not to make this all about us? Are they, are they going to shoot us at any point? Uh, Roman says, no, uh, no one's getting shot. I like, go ahead. I like Lear's little contribution there. As moment Roman says that he pipes in and says, I'm also intrigued on that point. <laughs> Edward says it's complicated, but there is still interest in the deal, which flabbergasted Roman, me, and I think anyone still watching the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he says, yeah, it's a, we, we, this is, there were deals still on the table. We're still working it. Edward's associate and then asked how they can be assured the U.S. government wouldn't block the sale. Well, okay, uh, it, it wouldn't. My father has a lot of sway. I mean, he can't lock up his opponents in a hotel, but, uh, well, yeah, he kind of could. <laughs> I, I like how it takes them a second to realize they're having to go back into pitch mode, but Roman gets back into the groove of it pretty quick. Yeah, so that's that's the deal. It's back on the table. Yeah. It's like the, back in... Like Laird and Carl can barely even just process that, okay, Roman, good job. I guess you just got the deal while we're in a hostage situation. Kudos. Yeah, wild. Back in D.C., Ship and Rhea get in a car, and Rhea is really not happy. Mm-mm. And I think they have some back and forth where Rhea's like, you don't have to do this. And she's like, yeah, well, this could be the end of my family's company. I do have to do this. And... Is Rhea basically, this is the moment where Rhea's just signing out? She's like, nope, this isn't a job I can perform anymore. Is this the moment she's basically deciding that she's quitting? I think when I think that moment was either immediate, immediately or directly after Logan asked her. Yeah. Because I think at that point, because she, I think she always was interested in Ray Star Warco for money, mm-hmm. but also because she was fascinated with Logan and seemed to have a good rapport with him. And then, you know, when Logan asked her to do this, that broke that. Yeah. Now she's seen the other side of that particular equation. Yep, back to the hearings, and Logan gives a prepared statement, saying the day he found out about the abuses in cruises was the worst day of his life. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Sure, yep, that's what that gets. Gil starts his questioning. Um, Thank you, Madam Chairwoman. Emerson said every institution is the shadow of a single man. At Waystar, that man is Logan Roy, isn't he? Woo. Logan gives a weak answer that says he's not going to argue with Mr. Emerson. I was surprised at how poorly Logan did here. Yeah. He was really bad. Yeah, he was you know, delivering the kind of Tom performance that you were hoping Tom would deliver about just reading off notes, being noncommittal with responses. He, yeah, this is a low-energy Logan. Maybe they should have gone with the Snickers suppository. 
your cruises run for profit, your news runs for profit. Is that any way to keep the lifeblood of democracy going by using news as your own personal ATM? Is that Kendall Roy's music? Uh, uh, I think you may be under a misapprehension, Senator. In this country, all news from the Times to the supermarket tabloid is for profit, sir. We don't have a state media. As I'm sure you know, you have to go to China or Russia for that. Kendall Roy in the building. And, and, and he hit a good weakness there because this is the moment that Evis has tried to make this about something else. This is the moment that Evis has tried to pivot this conversation from being a conversation about the cruise division to being a conversation about the overall business. And Kendall hits that one hard real quick. He does. I'm not going to do his whole outburst here, but he does. He chimes in and he basically says, look, you know, this seems to me to be a, a charade. This seems to not be about the cruise industry. It's not about proper oversight of the cruise industry codes and standards or some highly regrettable but isolated incidents. Uh, this is about you have a problem with my father. Um, you don't like us ideologically. And you say we have bias in our news reporting or just in how we run our company but kind of ends it with, but today, sir, you have the bias. And the room is cheering at this point because they've had nothing but shit. I mean, Jerry delivered a good performance the way Jerry was expected to do, but they're on their heels, and Kendall's bringing them back. He's framing this entire thing now because of Gil's obvious overstep as just being a personal hatchet job rather than actually being, a, you know, a cover-up for a serious and major scandal. And he does have this line, which I'll quote. What this feels to me is about your father's uh, or your dis, uh, personal dislike of my father and your ideological hatred of his newspapers and his p news channels and in particular the success story which is an ATM ATN on which you've appeared I think 14 times in the last four months Senator whoa yeah this is the performance they desperately needed kudo on Kendall this is what Kendall is very good at rising to the occasion for these kind of moments yeah, Connor fist pumps in the back. Oh, yeah. Very funny. Very funny to catch him on camera. Mm -hmm. um, and I like this moment, um, mostly because for whatever sick reason, I'm still rooting for the Roys. Yeah. I mean, it's because I like certain ones of them, despite the fact I find them an incredibly toxic organization that needs to die. I don't necessarily want the individuals to die with it. Yeah. So I think Logan was very, very lucky that Kendall was selected to participate with him. I'm not sure there's anybody else. Uh, in that war room who could have delivered that kind of performance to Senator Evis. I think Kendall wins on the cards, mm -hmm. you know, like to score these things in boxing. I, I, I That's 10-9, 10-9 to me. That's a that's a route. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think part of the reason that we were, we're rooting for the Royce here is we also just find Gil utterly intolerable? Well, that's the great thing about this show is there's no good guys. Yeah. <laughs> like the closest thing we have is Greg. Yeah, and you know, that's a still a very sullied version of a good guy. Yeah, even the, even the fucking Pierces were insufferable. Yeah. Um, back to Rhea and Shib, and Rhea says she's not going in. She's not going to talk to the lady. Mm -mm. Oh, sarcastically, uh, she thanks Rhea. Uh, Shib thanks Rhea. She gets out of the car. And we start a hell of an interesting conversation from here. Yeah, cut back to the hearing, and some Republican is speaking and throwing the definition <laughs> of soft comments to Kendall and Logan. I like you, man. I'd like to have a drink with you, man. I took a cruise. I loved it. Me and my wife loved it. Um, yeah, so it's just complete Florida gang. partisan fodder. Yeah, Florida gang. Yeah, he, he, he left out of the Miami port. Mm -hmm. Back to Shib. She's approaching the woman uh, as she's on the playground with her kids. Spencer, I don't know how much of this scene you want to recap. Um I honestly feel like we can accomplish it with this. And I'll say this, and then you can add in whatever details you want. 
Shib lies and manipulates this woman. She lies, manipulates. Yeah, got it. So finish point. Woman falls for it. Shib leaves. That is that's yeah top level. Yeah, that is that is a good summary. And she lies in the most effective way she possibly can. She puts in an unfortunate dose of the truth about how a lot of these people who come forward are portrayed in the media and society after they've done so. And this scene is just such a wonderful indictment, not only of Shiv for doing this, but of society as a whole, that a lot of what she's saying is manipulative, it is cruel, it is an element of lying to her as well. But there's definitely an undercurrent of truth about what she's saying this. She's not maybe necessarily wrong about how this woman's going to be portrayed going forward in the media and by broader people as, even if it's not necessarily negative, it will still be, this will be your life going forward. This will be how you're remembered. I think that like what gets underrated in these television shows, especially the really, uh, the ones with a big budget, Mm -hmm. is the people who come in for one episode, one or two scenes and kill it. And I think this lady who's playing the victim the actress was fan fucking tastic because she, as Shib was talking, she had this element of, at least what I under, I understood to be like a lack of self confidence mm-hmm. and un, very unsure about what she's doing. And she didn't say it. It's just how she interacted with Shib. She had that. And I would imagine somebody who has been victimized, who has that trauma and also knows they're about to go before fucking Congress and talk about it would be shaky and the actress played it i thought really really well this is again why on earth she would this is why she would never be left alone by any competent group that was trying to run this because this is the yep. inevitable thing that happens and it's also just it's why it's such effective gaslighting by shiv is that it is so effective for manipulating another person to make them uneasy in their position and then just be available as an alternative when they no longer know what they're going to do and they need to latch on to something and she does this masterfully. It's evil, but she does it very well of or offering this woman kernels of truth, kernels of uncertainty, so that you can just watch her break down. She starts pretty strong. She starts like, I know what you're here for. I'm, I'm, I'm here to do the right thing. I don't want to deal with you. And Shiv just masterfully puts just little elements of doubt, of uncertainty, of fear into her. To the, by the end of this conversation, she's turning to the only person present for help and support about what she should do next, and that's Shiv. Yep, I agree. But it, 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 Shitty scene, and it goes on the Mount Rushmore of fucking awful things Shib has done on this show. It, it was really fun to... Some of the, um, of the various journalists that covered the show, I was reading some of the reviews, and a lot of them are real big Shiv fans. They adore Shiv. They see a lot of themselves in Shiv. And they've worked hard to justify her throughout this season. <laughs> some of her big missteps, some of her very um, unfortunate decisions... This is the point of where all they can just do is just be sad because there's nothing that they can do to redeem her from this moment. This is a remarkably capable individual. You can never take that away from her. Who's very skilled at what she wants to do, doing a very evil thing for self-interested reasons. Yeah. Uh, I, again, it's kind of a no coming back from a moment when you, you manipulate and lie to a victim you know, I've, I don't know what her what she was actually victimized, but I'm sure it was pretty horrific on, you know, one of your family ships that your family is actively trying to cover up. This woman's stance is, I mean, she clearly was victimized, but her stance here as well is that it's not just about me. Sure. All sure. these other people I know that were hurt, and I need to be there for them. This is a very brave woman to even reach this point. She needs support. And this, instead, the universe has provided shiv for that. Yeah. Well, back to Turkey. 
uh, to a more pleasant situation. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Someone walks in with multiple guards and asks for foreign nationals to identify themselves. Roman sort of panics, but Carl jumps up and raises his hand. Uh, thanks, Carl. Yeah, really smooth. <laughs> then the guy name checks Roman, and uh, he walks out with the folks. And really interesting that this one just ends on kind of like a cliffhanger. I don't think this show's ever really done cliffhangers before. It's It caught me off guard that this one's not done yet, apparently, this episode. Yep. Um... Where are we at? Cut to a reception after the hearings, and the senator who was sucking up to the Roy's comes up to Kendall and says he did a good job. Basically says, you know, you, you kind of were the ace in the hole here for everybody. Mm-hmm. Logan walks in and people clap like he fucking did anything. <laughs> you had a son, his name was Kendall, and he did a good he had a good day. Yeah. Well, one thing we should talk about though, before Kendall started beating up on Gil, is there was a moment where Logan was asked a pointed question, and he said, Well, at that point, I think my son was over that operation. Yeah, that was interesting. And even Kendall. Kendall kind of looked up. Yeah, exactly. Kendall looked up and was like, what? Are you really just throwing me under the bus right here in front of me? And if if Kendall had been Tom, it would have been a full throwing under the bus. But Kendall's able to pivot it so well to distract from that kind of reference. But yeah, that was interesting. That was a breaking of ranks I wasn't expecting in that given, in that particular moment. Yeah, and you you couple that with the senator telling Kendall that basically he was the one that really saved this thing. Um, you're starting to get a Logan v. Kendall vibe here. Yeah, and it's only made worse because, okay, you remember a few episodes back, set it up, Naomi Pierce shows up and Kendall again introduces her to his dad. Mm-hmm. Remember the last time that happened, what Logan did immediately afterwards? Um, no. This was when they were in England. Naomi spent the night Kendall showed her off to his dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And immediately yep, yep. afterwards, the dad does the most evil thing he's ever done to Kendall. Of where yep. he says, let's go talk to the victim's parents. Yep. And why don't you come inside? Look at all. Stay down here and look at all the pictures of him. And I agree that they're setting this up like like Logan's going to do this to Kendall again. And I am almost just flabbergasted by that. But they're really setting that up, aren't they? I think they are. Uh, and then we have... A sh- the shifty son of a bitch, Bill, walks up to Logan and says, Oh, I have so many memories, so many memories. I should write a book. I should write a book. I ha- oh, no time. No time. Yeah, but I have the notes. But yeah, no time. No time. But y'all did great today. Just wanted to be here to support. Yeah. This is a... I don't see it as malevolent as you do, but this is a guy who definitely is capable of playing the politics with the best of them. Yep. Logan approaches Shib. Compliments Shib's work because that woman dropped out. Yep. Uh, Shib obviously feels a little dirty about this, but mm, not too dirty, I guess. Logan walks up to Kendall, asks if he's doing okay. Logan says he was sorry if it was a little rough. Kendall attempts to reintroduce Logan to Naomi, and Logan blows her off again. Completely. Logan walks outside to meet Raya. Raya asks Logan to tell her what happened. Logan goes a long way back. Did you ever have an editor that put a hand on a sweater? Things were done differently in those what days. What the fuck, man? Can you at least take this seriously? It's the it's the old guy thing. It's uh, it, you know, like, and I'm gonna, I'm sorry, anybody who doesn't want to listen to politics, skip ahead thirty seconds. But in the last debate, Spencer, I don't know if you caught it. Uh, Bloomberg was talking about these NDAs that he has with women who, you know, allege something improper happened at his company, mm-hmm. and he said no one ever accused me of doing something, you know, inappropriate. They may have not liked a few jokes I told. 
Did, did you hear the audience audibly groan? Groan, yeah. And that's the, that really reminded me of this moment where it's clear that like Logan just doesn't get it. Like, in a, And a lot of these older guys, they always have that sort of like, well, back then, they try to caveat it as opposed to just saying it's categorically wrong. It shouldn't have happened then. It can't happen now. No, it's an indictment. Of, it's an indictment on society. The fact that society then didn't see it as a problem doesn't mean it was okay. It's an indictment on society then. Keep track of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rhea, Rhea points out that Logan once told her that Mo was a close friend. Kind of catches Logan in a lie there. Uh, Logan then tries to backtrack and say, well, I guess I misspoke. But no, we, we weren't really that close. Rhea, it's kind of a superpower, isn't it? If you can lie to someone like that to their face. I mean, I know you're lying. But I still find you very plausible and appealing. Good line from Rhea. Yeah. It's also the second time we've heard somebody on the show referred to as plausible. I think the their, um, uh, Shiv and Roman and Kendall's mom referred to Tom as plausible before. I just, I, I'd never heard, somebody, heard that used before, but it's a good way of talking about somebody. Yeah. Then Rhea says that she doesn't want to be a part of this. She says she won't work for Logan. Logan's like, okay, well, what do you want? Hand me over a barrel. And Ray's like, you don't understand. I'm actually telling you no. This isn't a negotiation. Uh, Logan says, oh, come on. Fuck off. Roy House words. Uh, Logan gets mad. Tells her that she's fungible. She disagrees. Says, funge me. Try. And I think she's got a point here. You can't... You, I mean, you just named her as your successor. And you, if you pull her out now, during these congressional hearings, you're just going to lose more shareholders. Yeah. And it's we've made fun of Rhea before we've attacked her before aspects of her character but here in this decision I don't think it's fair to frame it as being you know can't handle it weak not a wartime consigliere though I've referred to her that previously this is her just making a moral stance of where I think this is her effectively making a moral stance of where there are lines I will not cross there are things I will not do even if they're hidden even if they're in private and I now know that you guys just play jump, play hopscotch with those lines. Mm-hmm. Cut to some sort of either like hotel room or maybe it's Logan's apartment. I don't know. And Logan and Shiv are watching ATN. And they are talking about how Rhea is gone. Logan, good quote here. She can't hack the hate. Mm-hmm. Well, she can fuck off and enjoy her lily white chicken flesh conscience working for a fucking phone company. <laughs> Shib asks if Logan thinks this is now over. Logan says no. That what Kendall did in the hearings won't play with the shareholders. That's also a very good point. Because he did kind of get, you know, he, he attacked back and he also redirected and he didn't really... As much as Gil wasn't addressing what was going on, mm-hmm. you know, what the issue at hand, which was the abuses on the Waystar cruise lines, mm-hmm. Kendall didn't address it either. Yeah, well, Kendall wasn't trying to. Kendall was trying to defeat Gil there. He was trying to score yes. a win right there. And he did... But it's not something that helps them in the overall narrative, necessarily. Yeah, and that's all he could do in the moment. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. But, it, but it, I think Logan may be right here that they haven't really disabused the shareholders of the notion that something improper happened and that management covered it up. Mm-hmm. He also Tom points out that, that Bill... Tom made that inevitable. Yeah. They have no way around that now. Yeah, yeah we, we, we thought he just maybe was kind of like one. Come on, Tom. Logan also points out that Bill won't go quietly. So this whole plan of you know we're gonna we're gonna throw Bill under the bus. Mm-hmm. I think Logan sees right through that, and probably not in no small part to Bill walking up and in his own way and shoot, like, hey, Logan, I know this. You guys are considering this. I've got the notes. I've got the receipts, and I will let them out. Just keep that in mind. Again, what do you expect Bill to do there? But do that. He's gonna protect himself, and you know it's 
he does it in still the most polite way possible, because Bill. Uh, says they need something big. Quote, time for a blood sacrifice. And the camera zooms in on Kendall Roy. Ooh. Time for a blood sacrifice, Spencer. End of episode. Dear God, has he not done enough for you? Has he not been your whipping boy? Has he not been loyal at every stage of this game forever? Since this season, at least. And you're going to set him up on charges that will probably see him put away in prison for a significant well, period of time? Wait a second here, Spencer. I, I, I don't think that that's a foregone conclusion that it's Kindle. I mean, you said earlier in this episode it had to be Tom. I agree. I think it l very much... If you want to hit somebody who's obviously revealed themselves for weakness so that you can easily put it on, it's Tom. But like you said and pointed out, we've gotten a couple hints and references that he's leaning towards Kendall. And this framing scene at the end, this you cannot tell me this scene at the end isn't trying to put it as if he's thinking Kendall. He says, blood sacrifice. The can't, can't, He's looking at the screen. He just mentioned that what Kendall did didn't is going to resonate well with the shareholders. Between that, between the whole comparisons to the Naomi Pierce scene, between him very weirdly trying to deflect blame onto Kendall at the damn hearing, he's thinking Kendall. I, I agree that Tom seems like the other viable choice, totally probably a more viable and reasonable and actual blame kind of scenario, but you can't tell me that Kendall isn't in his head. I, I don't know. Uh, I think we've gotten some um, hints to that. But I also think that there's a, a good ar logical argument to be made that Kendall shouldn't be the guy if no nothing else, you know, no other reason than he's the most capable person that Logan has. He also scored a public relations win on behalf of the company. Maybe, maybe it won't play with the shareholders, but it definitely helps public perception to the company by punching Gil and shutting him up. And then you also have the incompetence that is Tom. And it would be, um, if you try to throw Kendall under the bus, he may fight back. Kendall has showed he's a worthy opponent to Logan. Mm -hmm. Tom has never showed anything close to that. Right. I mean, it, so it's an easier play to just throw Tom under the bus, tell Shib, get another husband, move on. Fully agree. 100% agree. It's like it's like the bill with the receipt situation. You can totally believe that Kendall has an exit plan to protect himself prepared already that could hurt you. You cannot imagine that Tom has had anything prepared yet. He doesn't even have the top secret folder in his desk to protect himself. Tom's the meat in the sandwich. Okay, uh, you ready to get to our segments? Let's get to the segments. Okay, we'll start with Roman line of the episode, which also has morphed into just general line of the episode. Uh, do you have any um, uh, nominations? I have a couple. I mean, it, Roman had a great episode. It wasn't necessarily his most quotable, but, you know, I'm going to focus on some Roman quotes that I wrote down. Uh, did you just say fuck him? Fuck Congress, Roman? Yes, Shiv. Fuck Congress. Have I shocked you? It's like, yeah. This is this is how Roman talks. Are you surprised at all? Uh, I've got one. Okay. What you got? So go hard, go fast, go with your lovely bastards. <laughs> yeah, it was the best attempt at an inspirational speech ever. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's right. It's just the dipshit, the sex pest, and the grand old Duke of Dork on a Central Asian vacation. Nope, nothing to see here. Thanks. <laughs> Very good one. Frank has a good one here. Are you now, or have you ever been a member of the Cruise Dirty Sex Fuck Cover-Up Party? Very, very solid line indeed. Um, I mean, should we see if there are any other hostages that want to cut a deal? This could be a bumper time for us. Um, 
You can't make a tomlet without breaking some oh, grapes. Uh, uh, come on, make that line of the episode. Just come on. There's some great other lines, but please. I don't know. All right, what else you got? I think that's about it for me. Okay. So, line of the episode then? Yeah, this is boring, but it had to be this. I apologize, Spencer. It's not going to make you laugh. It's not going to make you happy, but I think the audience knows this has to be line of the episode. Time for a blood sacrifice. Yeah. 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 It just has to be. I mean, because it's, it's probably the most charged line that we've ever gotten in this series. And it is ominous, and it clearly is setting up for just what you know what they're going to focus on in the, in the finale. I had to physically stop myself from powering through and watching the next episode after that line. It's like, this is the advantage of watching all the, all the episodes after the fact. I could do that, but I don't want to because I want to make my, my response legitimate for the next time we record. But man, that line really wanted to make, make me want to watch the next episode. Yeah, I mean, I watched it week to week, so I mean, I, I had the seven days to wait after that. I was like, oh my god, like, but you know, we get the we get the final episode, Spencer. I will give you a hint. I'll give you one detail of what happens in the final episode. I will spoil one thing for you. Okay. Um, they since they spend a considerable amount of time on a yacht. Of all the things you could have told me, that was the one I think I would least expect. Yep, and I it I mean it. If it spoils anything, it spoils just where they're at. Um, but it's also just like super fucking fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like to film on a, a big yacht like that. It was just, it was the show like, boom, I got stacks. I'm spending. So you got that to look forward to, Spencer. I, yeah, don't know how that's going to factor into anything else I've expected about what's going to happen in the next episode. I truly did not imagine a yacht would be involved at all. That never factored into what setting I was going with. But okay, I can rework what my theories are based on a yacht. <laughs> yep, I just figured I'd give you a little head fuck there. Okay, let's go with Roy of the episode. Roman. Roman. It's Roman. I agree it's Roman. Now, let's well, let's, let's let's talk people th- them all. Yeah. Let's well, it can't be Shib because she if there was a 2% morality left in her, she snuffed it right out. Well, let's 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 do positives and negatives. We can do this for each of the characters. I agree that any sense of morality and her being the good one is now fully dead and buried. Um, but in terms of the mission she set out for, she did it in a way that probably none of the rest of them could, and she probably maybe saved the company, or at least bought time before their death. I'm not sure that one victim speaking out would have ended the company. Well, Jerry, um, Jerry's I mean, point, we, it could have been could have broken the dam. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, people at this point know that these abuses happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, like, I, just because victims are now coming out and saying this happened to me, I don't think that they've really refuted the premise. I mean, Logan even came out and said, hey, when I found out this was happening, it was the worst day of my life. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not like a situation where somebody's like being accused of like sexual harassment. They keep saying no, and then 20 accusers come out. It's like, they said, yes, this happened. And now they're just trying to figure out, okay, who knew when? Uh, true. And we also do exist in a world where a victim can testify in front of Congress mm-hmm. and the entire national world. And, her person she's accusing can still be elected to the Supreme Court. So, yeah, I understand your point. Woo! Yep. Um, okay, so then we move on to Connor. Um, uh, well, he got the he got the phrase conhead, so there's that. <laughs> he has some good lines, but otherwise he's... I think in some ways he may get a bit of a win out of this just because he's so far removed. He's probably the only member of the Roys that's not being directly affected by this, other than that he supports his family. Yeah, and I don't think we... I mean, I think we're contractually obligated to never pick Connor. For the, 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 
that was a that was a decision on his part years ago to be out of the game. He can't he can't win because he isn't playing. Uh, we'll cut to Greg. Greg clearly is not. Mm-mm. He's Mm-mm. not even honorable mention because he got name checked at Congress you get, for destroying documents. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're Gil, don't you like follow up and now call Greg? Isn't I mean, a question? If you can tell me this, if it's a spoiler, don't whatever. But um, are the are the hearings done? I mean, based on what that um, uh, the member of the Florida gang was saying, it seemed like almost like the hearings were done, but. I would have follow-ups based on things that have been revealed. I'd want to talk to Greg if I was Gil. I am not willing to tell you that. I'm only willing to tell you that they're on a yacht for some of the next episode. Okay. Okay. I'm accepting this. Go on. Um, um, fully agree. Yeah, Greg, the, loser. The, now we get to Kindle. Now, this is what I, I was wanting to get to when we started. This is, and I, I think we're on the same page here. Let me know if we're not. Mm-hmm. So I got to explain to people, you might think Kendall is Roy of the episode because he did wipe the floor with Gil in, in the Senate committee hearing. But he also now potentially has positioned himself to be the fall guy with the shareholders. We also get the ominous time for a blood sacrifice at the end. Um, he also uh, introduced Naomi to his father again, and she got summarily dismissed. So I think there's going to be some tension there. So he did, I think on the whole, he came out positive, but there were definitely some negative things for Kendall in this episode that may not fare well for him in the next episode or in the next season. I very much agree. I think he had a series of moments in this episode that were all positive. And if you were just looking at this episode in isolation, you'd go, well, he's definitely in contention to Roy episode, right? I mean, his relationship's apparently going great. He had some, the only successes that we actually saw on screen of anybody in terms of dealing with the congressional hearings. How could he not win? But there is a sort of Damocles hanging over this guy that we cannot ignore. And it's also just like the example that we've seen throughout the entire show, that whenever he has a measure of success, the universe conspires to crush it. That's kind of been the recurring theme of this entire damn show. So anytime things start seeming like they're coming up, Kendall, you got to be aware that the there is a bomb under the table and it might blow at any second. Yep. And then we get to our winner, Roman. Uh, my justification for Roman being Roy of the episode is that he pushed through to continue negotiating a deal in a foreign country through a military coup. Yeah, totally. And he, even before that, he was doing well. He was like legitimately doing well. Not like I'm the family face of this so that you can be reassured that this is actually the family that supports this deal. He was actually controlling the pitch and doing a good job at it. Good job, Roman. And then, like we said before, about him actually trying to have an emotional connection with his dad was an adult moment that we didn't think he was capable of. Our little boy has grown up over the course of this show, and it almost brings tears to my eye. Yep. He's st- great, great episode by Roman. He's still probably a wastrel fuck that does things in the bedroom I never want to know about, but that's separate, as we talked about. Nobody on this show is claimed. Let's celebrate the victories when they come. Yep, exactly. And this was clearly one for Roman. Shout out to Roman. Uh, I'm excited for you to watch the next episode. Um, what, what about do you want? What about Logan? Go ahead. What about Logan? Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I know you like to go through all of these. But <laughs> no, okay. Come on. Yeah, obviously not. <laughs> he, Losing Ray is a hell of a loss too, right now. Lost Ray, dragged before Congress, was a bumbling idiot when you were there, and tried to throw your son under the bus. And even had your had your one of your sons call out the fact that Marsha isn't there anymore. Just like. There's a lot of bad here. Yeah, I think Logan, that might be the most 
losses Logan has taken in an episode? Uh, <laughs> this season he's had a few, so I agree it's in contention. Yeah, and he had a stroke in an episode. <laughs> yeah, we always got to start that. That Yeah, this is his worst episode. When he almost died season one, episode one. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, do you have relationship advice in the episode? Because if you don't, I got one to posit. Uh, if you want to go first, I have I, I have one kind of to discuss. Sure. So mine is if you are in a relationship with someone, you like that person, they like you, you think it's healthy, you think they're good for you, fuck what your dad thinks. Yeah. I very much agree with that. That particularly with this family, it kind of almost works into mine of where... I, as we've talked about before, I've had, I have a lovely parents. I've had a lovely childhood, always supportive, absolutely great. But I know friends, coworkers, whatever else, that don't have that. That they had a very toxic family life of where their parents existed to bring them down, to break them from anything that was beyond what the parents wanted. And I see how painful and difficult it was for them and how much they struggled in terms of getting away with that because they're your family. They're your parents. They're always supposed to be there for you. You're always supposed to love them. You're, all, you're never supposed to just abandon them or separate yourself from them. But like with the Naomi reference here or just in general, I heart goes out to you, but there's some moments of where you just need to decide what is your life, what is what causing problems in your life, and get away from those things, even if that literally means your family. And there are so many characters in the show that I just want to understand that. And Kendall is like first and fucking foremost among them. That they're your family. They have made you who you are. But they are bad for you. And they will keep being bad for you. And the worst thing you can do is continue to allow that to happen to yourself. And I just hope you find a way to get away from it. And Kendall, dear fuck you more than so many other people I've ever talked with, have a way out. You've got money. You've got resources. You have a woman who apparently loves you. Kudos. You can leave. You can get out of this. Please find a way. If not only because I've bet money on you being able to finally, finally do that this season, like we've debated earlier before, but also because I like you. I don't know why always, but I want good things for you, and you can do this. So... Stand in there. Toxic families are a bad thing. Find a way to get out when you can, or at least recognize when you've reached that moment of when there's no value and no moment beyond, no way, really, real way of return. Okay, you wanna, you wanna go? What? Do you wanna go? You mean like in the episode, or go on with more relationship advice? What are we saying here? Yeah, well, you said you had one, and I said I'll give mine, and I gave mine, which was like fuck your dad if they don't like the. I just worked in. The, six, the I just did six minutes of me working in mine right there in response to yours. I agree. I'm, bu- oh, I was building I, off oh, it. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, sorry, you didn't. I, I wasn't clear to me that you'd actually pick something similar. This is okay. I'm gonna go talk to the soccer team now. All right, let me make something up. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, good episode. Uh, one of the best. Again, the best two episode run of the the series. I think can't wait to do the finale with you. Uh, when we do the finale, we'll probably break some news on what our next show is going to be. Spencer and I really haven't finalized that yet, but we'll do it, and we'll let you guys know. Anyway, uh, great time doing this podcast with you, Spencer. Succession's a great show. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, just that I'm debating how fast I can reasonably today watch the next episode because, dear. Christ, did they set it up to be a remarkable thing. Go, 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 and text me when you're done. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. It's Mango Talks TV. See you.